Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I am wired in, uh, <laughs> ready to record these memories. How about you, Scott? Yeah, I'm ready to party like it's 1999. Oh, man. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We are going to be talking this week about uh, the James Cameron-written and Catherine Bigelow-directed Strange Days from... 1995 uh starring and and not a brother an all-star 90s cast pretty Mm -hmm. much quite a strong cast actually and and this was sort of the heyday for all of them and none of them went on to be the hollywood stars that we thought they would no there's a couple in here that sort of i know from other things um one in particular uh in in ralph fines um but there's like yeah, there's people in this that sort of have just become like an indie movie, like they were, they lived in that indie movie kind of thing, like Juliet Lewis and um, Tom Sizemore, and um, the biggest disappointment for me is Angela Bassett, who mm. who is great in this film, but never seemed to become a, a a breakout star. She seems to be one of those people that sort of people often often talk about, but never mm. never seems yeah. to have had a big breakout, but. Mm. She she um I mean, she was in Malcolm X. She oh. played uh, Malcolm X's wife. Um, you know she. I mean she's fantastic. And you know yeah. I mean I think in her case, you know she should sort of got pigeonholed as you know a uh, woman who starred in black movies. Mm-hmm. And I think Hollywood in the nineties. You know today, if, if that had happened twenty years later, she would yeah. be you know at the top of the box office. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think this movie owes a lot to Natural Born Killers, which uh, Juliette Lewis and Tom Sizemore are both in. Mm. And Juliette Lewis was really poised at this moment to be a really top movie star. Um, and it's always been a mild surprise to me that she wasn't. Yeah, I think there's there's often reports of her working with her being difficult at certain points and stuff. But I'm sure there's reasons. But before we get into it. Um, w- let's give a plot because this one and this one took a little while to, to uh good luck yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right let me okay i'm gonna read this and then let's let's see let me see what you think strange days it's christmas 1999 in la and tensions are high in a town about to erupt into violence but people still want to par- party like it's uh 1999 looking to take advantage of the party people is clips dealer lenny nero played by ralph fines in this 1999 a technology has been developed that is able to record a person's sensory information, and then another person can play back and experience the events using mini discs. These are clips. Clips are traded on the black market and so only accessible to the right client, someone rich and discreet. For Lenny, this includes giving clients a place to experience the clip, 
in one case hiring his friend Mace, Angela Bassett, and her limousine. As Lenny goes about his business, his friend Iris, Bridget Baco, is being chased down by two LA cops. After being shot at, after being shot at, Iris barely escapes on a subway train, also revealing that she has, is wired up to record clips. In disguise, Iris goes to Lenny, telling him she has something she needs to, he needs to see. Too distracted by other matters in his life, like his car being towed and fawning over his ex-girlfriend Faith, played by Juliet Lewis, Lenny fails to see what Iris has. However, a, con- a contact passes him a fresh clip, and when he experience it, experiences it back, he is mortified to find, find he is seeing through the eyes of someone who rapes and kills Iris. Having seen where the crime took place, Lenny and Mace speed across town just in time to see Iris' body being taken away. Lenny and Mace share the clip with best friend, private investigator, Max Pieter, uh, Tom Sizemore. Unable to find a source for the video, Mace deduces Iris must have left something for Lenny in his car. The two find his towed car and the disc uh, with a clip on it. Before they get a chance to see it, Mace and Lenny are confronted by the two cops that chase down Iris, Steckler and Engelman, played by Vincent D'Onofrio and William Fickner. They barely get away and find a safe place to experience the clip. It shows how, on the night she was chased, Iris was with rapper and black activist Jericho One. The car is pulled over by the two cops, and after a minor argument, Stickler shoots and kills Jericho. Jericho's death has been adding to the powder keg of tension in the city, but if it's revealed that it was a cop that killed him, the city would descend into war. Mace wants to go public with it, stating a war might be what is needed. Lenny is more cautious and also concerned about ex-girlfriend Faith, as she was close with Iris, and Faith is also now with Jericho's manager, Philo Gant, played by Michael Wincott. Confronting Faith with the information, she explains she knew more than they did. Philo learned of the information on Iris's disc and was more concerned that his clients would learn that he uses clip technology to keep an eye on them. He wanted to destroy the disc and stop Iris from talking, so sent the killer. Faith explains that she is safe for the moment as she is also being protected by Max on Philo's orders. Despite his personal concerns, Lenny gives the disc to Mace to hand to the police commissioner at a party and make him see it. While Lenny goes back to Faith and confront Philo, however, when he gets there, he finds Philo dead and another disc, this one showing a similar rape scene, but with Faith. But this isn't, this isn't real, this is role play, revealing that Max and Faith are now indeed lovers. Max confronts Lenny and explains that Philo sent Max to kill Iris. Max then decided to frame Lenny for the murders so he could get away with Faith. A fight breaks out and Max is eventually killed when he falls over the hotel balcony. Down in the streets, Mace is spotted by Steckler and Engelman, who start to chase her down. She is able to disarm and subdue them, but other police see this as an attack and start to beat Mace. This one act kicks off a riot and Mace is able to break free, but then is faced with the commissioner, who has now seen the Jericho clip. He has Steckler arrested and Lenny and Mace are taken away for questioning to explain the whole affair as the new millennium arrives. Whew. There you go. Yeah, quite a convoluted plot. And and the other cop, uh, you know, gets uh, killed trying to. Well, he kills himself. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He kills. He puts. He it kills in himself rather than be revealed. It's it's. Um... And, and they and they kill Steckler. Uh, he mm. pulls a gun in a sort of like. Uh, Die hard, hard, you know, and, and gets killed by his fellow calves. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a very convoluted plot, uh, but very resonant. 
it is. There's a lot to this film, and mm. it leans on so many tropes, or so I should say, it, it leans on so many genres. Because um, you know, this makes me. Feel, it's obviously sort of like that uh, cyber punk kind of thing. It's got uh, uh, noir, sort of like it, it reminds me of like Chinatown and. Mm. Um, yeah, very. Yeah, I was going to say the plot, the central plot underlying yeah. it is a very film noir plot. Yeah. Um, and all these are the things that crop up, as you sort of said, um, it owes sort of like to so many different things. Um, it's, it, the question I've, I had when I watched it does it need to be this intricate? Um, because not only is the plot intricate, they then sort of layer on top of it, they layer on top of it all this sort of thing about. The world building about you know the tensions in LA and it becomes a sort of a metaphor for race relations and all this other stuff. So there's just a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my sort of takeaway was it's not shot and not made like most movies. No, you don't feel. Oh, okay, we're in this scene. Here's the purpose of this scene. Yeah. All you know, you. As convoluted as that description was, it's very streamlined compared to the movie where you get a piece at a time. It's not clear at all um, what the point of a given scene is. Mm-hmm. You find out slowly that Lenny is an ex-cop and, yeah. you know, and, and all of these kinds of connections and what they really feel for each other and all of this. is It's very organically done mm-hmm. and it has a feeling of sort of being one of these tapestry films that is not streamlined in terms of plot where you have a feeling, oh, okay, that's this scene. Here's what that scene is about. Yeah. And I think that is both to its advantage and to its disadvantage. Obviously, this was a bomb and mm. almost derailed derailed multiple careers, including yeah. Catherine Bigelow's. Yeah. But uh, I find that that in itself interesting that, like, say that this derailed careers. Because I, I went on, when, when after watching it, I went on to multiple sort of those you know, review aggregation sites, IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, and sort of thing. And there are people that absolutely rail on this film. Mm. They're like, you know, it don't waste your time, makes no sense, worst film I've ever seen. And I'm going, like, what film were you watching? Because, yeah. you know, it's not, it makes total sense. Like, it's intricate and. There's some coincidences, I think, that sort of, you know, you have to put sort of pod and prod and poke at. But I, it's, I think this is, um, I was going to say it's ahead of its time. It's not ahead of its time because this is the same as, as we sort of said, like, you know, Chinatown, the Maltese Falcon, um, any of those sort of like gumshoe detective stories. It, it fits into that mold quite well, really. I think it's, it's, it maybe, maybe it just wasn't of its era. Um, well, I mean, in a way, like, I mean, this may be like the ultimate 90s sci-fi film. You cannot, <laughs> I mean, all of those actors were at that point in the career. It is so reflective of the L.A. riots and yeah. of um, um, the Lorena Bobbitt thing, yeah, you know, was yeah. an inspiration. O.J. Simpson trial yeah. was going on as they were filming. Um, you know, there was this fascination with not just... Um, violence in the media and this comes out in my favorite film natural born killers Mm. um but also with race relations and you know sort of if this goes on you know the whole super predator thing that was coming up um and you know so it is very much of its time i mean my 
my takeaway was that this is a splendid mess of a movie and it's a complete mess, but it's also a masterpiece. Like it is fascinating and intricate and so profoundly ambitious in a way that I don't know that any aspect works on a very high level, but it's got all of these aspects intertwined in this kind of insanely aggressive tapestry. Yeah, I think yeah, it it is a mess. And you're right. And I think you know, like I said, I'm, this is going to be one of the few episodes where I don't go, but I did it this way, sort of thing. Because I don't think <laughs> because because actually, I like the fact that it works because it's a mess. There's a fundamental thing in this film of it, like it being muddled. You know, like this that like you said, the information comes out in different bits and pieces. We get um, the information. Um, about Lenny being a cop later on, you know, you're given snippets about um, the, the even the case. Like it's never entirely clear. Like you, you are Lenny is confused. You know, Ralph Fiennes' character Lenny is confused throughout the vast majority of this film. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you as a viewer in that position, like you are supposed to feel slightly off kilter because you're not entirely sure. Like it's not like. It's not like he is given a case. You know, this isn't a gumshoe kind of film where he's gone, here's the case, this has happened, go figure it out. And it's sort of like, you know, then the twists and turns. It's like the first the first 30 minutes, maybe even well, the first 20 minutes of the film, like, you, you have no clue what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really, it could be really off. In fact, what I will say is, because I love the way this film is shot, like I, I absolutely adore certain things in this film. It's, it is very 90s, and it has certain things that I think you know probably could have been better. But the opening sequence of this film is is a POV is a POV robbery that's mm. done to look like a single take, and it starts in a car and goes through until until a guy falls off. Uh, the top of a building that has all this stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Tom Sizemore's in it, so you sort of like, well, I know Tom Sizemore's in this film, yeah, and he's taking part in this robbery. So what what does he do? Because so, he appears later. So is that important? Like, you, there's information you're given that is important, and, inf- and information that isn't important, and this other stuff. But I'm like, this is pretty ballsy to start with this POV yeah. thing that like just gives you nothing, and then it cuts to oh, that's a clip. Like Lenny's experiencing it. And then you get the information about clips, but you've like, so how does he get this information about like this robbery and this other stuff? And it's sort of, it's, is that what he's investigating? This, this is robbery going to be important. Nope. Not important at all. Like, right. you know, it's, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a demonstration of clip technology yeah. and it's a, and it's a smart, you know, dramatic way of opening, but you're right. It's like, you know, it's that sort of what I was saying about like, uh, what scene am I in? Mm. Okay, this is a dramatic opening, but what's the takeaway? And and it doesn't. This movie refuses, and I think to its credit, staunchly mm. refuses to tell you what the takeaway is from scene after scene, exchange after exchange. Oh, you have to be like, you get the monologue at the end. So by the end mm. of the film, you get everything that's happened. Like, you know, in Tom Sizemore sort of tells you. I, I, before I kill you, I shall yeah. explain yeah. everything that has happened. There's a bit of that, and it's again, I think you know, it has to happen. But as a viewer, you, you are you are Lenny. Like you have to work your way through this film, and you have to figure it out. Like you, well, and you know, there's things. There are clues. You could you could easily figure this film out 
if you if you you know if you're watching it if you but there are false clues there's false directions and stuff so it's 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 an investigation in and of itself for the viewer well i think that you know to your point i think this contributes to why it failed um you know expecting there's so much that's fantastic in here but expecting an audience to it's enough to expect an audience to go along with this kind of like ambitious winding narrative you know a a sort of chinatown with you know total recall fused into it with you know um you know some sort of natural killers uh jump cut Mm. you know slash malcolm x sort of race relations thing fused into it which i think is incredibly strong material Mm. it gets to me very strongly um although it has its own problems but you know you're asking the audience to do all of that and especially from the start those first 20 minutes are tough um but you know you sort of sink into it but then the other thing is ralph fines is as lenny is so unlikable as a traditional (laughs) hollywood type and this is one of the things that i mean i don't know that i've seen this movie all the way through uh except for this time i've Mm. seen parts of it a million times but which only adds to the confusion, you know, and you sort of have an impression like <laughs> there's an intricate plot that feels super meaningful here. Ah, I must not have gotten it because I only saw, you know, the last 30 minutes or something. But um, Ralph Fiennes is he's so on Hollywood here. He, yeah. You know, he's so, um, you know, swarmy. He's he's got charm, but he also knows that he's charming, which is kind of off-putting. And he's using it to like con people, which is also mm-hmm. off-putting. And he takes advantage of people. He feels swarmy in a way that even like you know Jack Nicholson in Chinatown does not. Yeah, weirdly, like I say, one one of the things we you know we talked about the casting of this, and Ralph Fiennes is one where I was like, I know Ralph Fiennes from doing in you know, later in life. You know, he's obviously Voldemort and done other things. I know him as M in the new Bond films. Great. But before this, so this is 95. Like I know him from uh, The English Patient, um, uh, Schindler's List, you know, very sort of like um, he, he's, a, he's, an, he's an English actor, you know, of those sorts of things, you know. Serious roles only. Yeah, exactly. Sort yeah. of. Um, and sort of, yeah, you know, like period pieces and all that kind of stuff. So to see him in this, like you know, and to have him be that sort of like slimy thing, um, it's one of those things where, like you know, I could imagine this being if if this if this was done today, or even in the nineties, actually, if this they really wanted this, this would have been a Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm thinking um, Last Boy Scout kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. down his luck, playing that sort of gumshoe kind of character. So to have Ralph Fiennes come in and not have him not really hiding his English accent at all as well um, and, and doing this, but then playing it like, yeah, no, I am going to play a sleazeball. Like, mm-hmm. I've been burnt. Things have happened when he was... You don't ever really get a full... And this is the other thing as well, uh, to think I, I'm going to use Last Boy Scout as another comparison piece. Um, you never really learn what why he left the police. It's well, never... yeah, it's implied that it is, you know, this is one of the things that I find most fascinating is mm. that there's no good guy. I mean, he, no. it's implied that he that he says he knows that the commissioner is straight laced because he kicked him out. 
And so the implication is like he was in some sort of corruption scandal. Even this good cop, right, who is your hero, clearly was involved in some sort of pay for play or something. Exactly. And this is where, when you, for my comparison piece to sort of The Last Boy Scout, when you get to uh, Bruce Willis's character in that and he was thrown out of the Secret Service, you find out he did it because he punched out a governor because the governor was attempting to rape this girl. And so you're like, oh, so you, yeah, he's, he is now this downtrodden, scummy private eye. He's a bit of a scumbag. But he, he, he reached this place because of his, he's still, mor- he is morally good. You know, and they show flashbacks. They constantly have it in. They have it in the film. They go, just so you don't, just so you know, <laughs> yeah. this is what really happened. And so you will support this character, despite him being curmudgeonly and you know grumpy. This is why. With the, with the Ralph Fiennes character, you're never entirely sure, like mm. that he's actually good. Like he seems to want to help his friends, but it's all sort of to his own. It's all sort of to his own benefit. Because <clears throat> even when I mean, it's clear, like the stuff with Mace, it's you know, with him sort of conning her Japanese clients, and then you know going. I mean, and you really, and she chews him out, and you know she's right about everything. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. it's clear that he, you know, like how good of a friend is he? He let Iris die. He's obsessed with Faith, but mm-hmm. is that really friendship? Or yeah, well, the, the thing is, he feels human. Like mm. he doesn't have to be heroic. Like, he is sort of like he is a proper anti-hero. Like he keeps getting pulled into this mystery and to resolve this thing. But he never really does anything heroic. Even at the end, as I say, like he is massively reluctant to give over uh the, the disc uh that, that shows Jericho one's death. And he gives this bullshit reason to Mace about you know race riots and it'll burn burn the city to the ground. But then he even but he, he actually even acknowledges but it'll also expose me and my black market, which will do me out of money. Yeah, well, and also I want to trade this for faith, yeah. uh, for faith safety, and I'm obsessed. Yeah, so he's not a, like a good, good guy. And I think that, again, is quite brave to be doing that, um, especially when and you say about the audiences. One of the things, so I've got this on Blu-ray, so one of the things I went away and I had a look at is the trailers. I'm always mm. fascinated by looking yeah. at how the film was marketed. <laughs> And this film was very much marketed in that vein of sort of like sci-fi action, nineties mm-hmm. uh, sci-fi action. Do you think Johnny Mnemonic or mm-hmm. those mid nineties things. It ends with there's like a scene, and it was it was used as, as a cover as, as the millennium goes off, mm-hmm. a big screen with Ralph Fiennes' face on it and celebrating. You're like, oh, he's going to save the day. Yeah, that's not the film that, yeah. that people went in to see. Well, can you, I mean, you know, it's like trying to sell Blade Runner 2049 and you're like, let's just put together some beautiful, I mean, the way to do that is just, let's just put together some beautiful shots with some, you know, Vangelis or or Mm. whatever and give you look and feel. How do you do this, honestly, as a trailer, except that way? Mm. Um, But with fines... You know, you. I think the last Boy Scout comparison is apt, and and I like that film. And and mm. there, I mean, this movie does have those. One of the ways in which it ages the most, the most poorly is in its embrace of very specifically 1990s action movie tropes. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, but 
you know, one of the things that always bothers me in in movies, especially like Last Boy Scout, is where you see characters drinking or mm. you see them like doing drugs or drinking and they never look drunk. Right. They might like <laughs> they're performing like they're drunk, but they look like they just got out of bed and the makeup just finished. Ralph Fiennes looks like he is strung out through this whole yeah. movie. He I mean. <laughs> He does not, and he looks confident there a moment. He, he can put on that poise, but he looks a mess. Mm. And you really feel that it's not like, you know, this very well made up, but, well, you know, where you see like, uh, yeah, it's the walking dead. Where are you getting your hairspray women? You know, where are <laughs> yeah. you getting this makeup? Uh, Ralph Fiennes looks a mess. Mm. Yeah. And I like the fact that, cause it's, again, I said, I think, Blade Runner also is a good example or a good comparison piece of this thing of saying like this this film as you say sort of like has specific kinds of characters in it and it's it's not an action film like this isn't Speed or you know Johnny Mnemonic or or The Matrix this isn't like one of those sort of cyber punk action films this is a sci-fi film not even like a hard sci-fi film like it's based around a technology that it's one it's one of those things isn't it it's a sort of a what would they call it i suppose um speculative fiction uh from a recent conversation like all they've done is all they've done is introduced one piece of technology like the rest is the same it's just this technology they say oh even that was built for the feds it was built as a military military application and then has been co-opted into this black market entertainment thing but nothing else is different like you know the fact that using mini discs is 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 brilliant um so it's not like it's not like you know flying cars and all this other stuff, but it still has this other feel, like the world that like you are not seeing um, the bright day of Los Angeles. Like you barely see daylight in this film. It's very, very sort of dark. It's very dark, and it. So they're going for like a. They're trying to achieve a Blade Runner look, but without changing the city. Yeah, I think the Blade Runner comparison is apt because, you know, Blade Runner is is also a bit of a mess, um, mm-hmm. although more streamlined. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is very obsessed with that sort of like look and feel, except that look and feel is all grimy. I mean, mm-hmm. it means and, and brilliantly so. I mean, it makes Blade Runner look like Star Trek by comparison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, and, you know, the other thing is this sort of depiction of the constant riot, mm. this depiction of every time they're driving limos through the mm. streets of LA, through, you know, nice areas of LA. And there are people overturning cans and there are yeah. cops responding and shootings going on. And it's just like, that is just the background of everything. And I love that. Um, it, it definitely is problematic because uh, mm. it's sort of like, yeah, you know, uh, those those people who rioted, you know, they're just going to keep doing it. Um, there's definitely, I mean, we'll get into some of the race issues, but, I mean, it definitely plays into white fears uh, oh, about yeah. the LA riots. Well, one of the interesting things is, and again, like, I, I actually watched it, like, one and a half times for this, um, just because things were going on, but one of the things I noticed is, like, all that that stuff in the background, that sort of the, like you say, the perpetual rioting or the perpetual like tension, um, or yeah, it's 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 shorthand 
And I think this is one of the, the interesting things. They're trying to show that there's a city. They're trying to show that this city is is at almost at the at breaking point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it, it's not in the foreground. Like it becomes a part of the foreground towards the end of the film. But I can imagine like, when they've done the set, uh, the production design on this. Like we need to show that there is a powder keg. Like there is a shitstorm coming. How do we do it? And this is the best way to do it because we, we we're already two hours and, and twenty minutes long, so I can't add scenes in, and we don't want to build a new character. So this is it, and I think I, I can feel that that's the choice that they've had to make to to make sure it lands with these audiences that this city is still suffering from this this these events, um, and it, but it does feel a little bit lumpy at times, a little bit overplayed, I would say. Um, but then, because they, they're also trying to, they are trying to justify at the end of the film. There becomes a bit of a ticking clock again at the end of the film because they're going to introduce the military to rot to control the. Well, they do. I mean, you see tanks yeah. in the streets. I mean, yeah. it's fucking Ferguson, man. Yeah, and that's it. But so they're trying to sort of have this whole thing, like that. You know, there's another film playing out in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, there's another film that's like where. There's a a real cop trying to prevent some sort of something else from going on. Another way of this happening, um, and but this film's not interested in that in the sense of like it's not in the foreground. It's complete background. And whilst it is lumpy, and we'll get to it. I like the fact that it doesn't um, ever become like a massive talking point for the characters. But they are like, oh no, we live with this shit. Yeah, and so we're yeah. just gonna live live our lives like Mace, as you say, sort of like drives her limousine and through these places, and you know, uh, even like Tom Sizemore, uh, Max sort of has to be, you know, he's a private investigator throughout all this. It's all just part and parcel, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of like that that they've tried to make it just a background. Um, yeah, and I think the closest it gets to a commentary on that is when Max says he says something like, you know, look around. Um, you know, you know, all of us could go at any time, mm. so you might as well enjoy yourself and indulge in, he's obviously talking about, you know, rape and murder, uh, you know, and making snuff films of it, yeah. but, you know, snuff disc kind of, mm. you know, memories, but, um, that does seem to be, there is a sort of like desperation to all of the characters, um. Yeah, the the other thing I was going to say about um, about Ralph Fiennes is that you you find out later that he met Faith when she was like a prostitute and a junkie, mm. and the level of just I mean this is another way in which this movie just refuses to play Hollywood conventions. The characters are so down and out, with the yeah. exception of Faith's new lover, who you know is running a record label. Um, you know, and, you know, outside of that, basically, and Jericho one, who you see a little bit of outside of that, everybody is just totally down and out. Yes. And to the point where, like, I'm a disgraced ex-cop. I'm hanging around with junkie prostitutes and falling in love with them. Like, yeah, we're at a certain level of society at that point. And I think the the terror going on in the streets plays into that, you know, the mm-hmm. sort of like, this is a real dystopia, but it's a dystopia that is very close to reality. Yeah. 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 And, you know, again, talking about sort of real finds, 
uh, character Lenny meeting Faith. One of the things that's most interesting about his character as well, like he met her, he met her when he was undercover. Uh, so he was like a narcotics cop, and he was so he falls in love with her. <clears throat> but the fact of the matter is, he was also using the squid, the clip technology to record her during a number of sort of in, you know encounters. Sometimes when they're out roller skating, mm. sometimes when they're in bed together. <clears throat> I I'm assuming those were supposed to have been submitted as evidence mm. or something because he, he is. It's acknowledged like that's when he was. That's when he was a a copper you know when he was in the police <clears throat> but he's kept those and he uses them as sort of like what would be in other films the home video moment you know um and so yeah this obsession he he is just you know he he met her under false pretenses mm-hmm. um and you know she's obviously then left and you know it may even be because of this relationship that he was pushed out of the police you, you don't know um but he still has this obsession and he's clearly willing to sort of steal evidence and mm-hmm. s- secretly film people. Like he's got no qualms about people's sort of privacy or even the people he loves. And like you say, it's, he's a, he's a difficult character to get a beat on in, in that sense of being the hero. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I, I, I wanted to get back to this kind of like griminess and, mm. and think about the ways in which, um, you know, this is post Boys in the Hood, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not just so it's not just the L.A. riots. It's not just, uh, you know, natural born killers and this sort of like, you know, it, it, it's like you go back to network and you think. Yeah. Boy, that that was so on the nose and yet so naive about that it would change anything, right? Mm. Like we are way past that now and we just <laughs> take it for granted, right? Like. Fox News is so far beyond that, mm-hmm. let alone reality TV. You know, we're we're in an era that had seen in which white America, the average, you know, the average middle class uh, or upper middle class, you know, roughly educated white person had seen stuff like Boys in the Hood, was getting more involved in and, and saw not not just the L.A. riots as, as scary and reactionary the way you know, riots in the 60s scared America, uh, but also identified with black mm. America because we had all seen the beating of Rodney King. And mm. we all knew, you know, people felt different things about it. Some people would justify the cops, but plenty of people understood this was a beating that was absolutely extrajudicial, absolutely criminal. Um, and a lot of, and you know, and saw the LA riots as both, completely shocking but also a a moment of expression of legitimate rage yeah. uh and a culture uh that had forgotten um you know black americans especially inner city black americans and so and this movie clearly reflects those things and you have um when he goes and hides out with uh her family um you know it's it's like oh you know, it's like this is a scene out of Boys in the Hood. It's a, or, or Friday. You know, like this is mm-hmm. a kind of culture shock, uh, but it's not a culture shock to Ralph Fiennes. I mean, and I so I think this this background, this milieu in which this film is made, it reflects all of them so strongly. Yeah, it, it does, and I, I agree because you only see Mace's family very briefly. Like, there's one scene that's sort of like say, but and, and again, one of the things I like about this film is that it's not. 
um, they haven't gone hard sci-fi. You know, you don't. It's not like you know, they're not trying to present Back to the Future Two 2015. It's not you know hoverboards and crazy costumes like the kids that she gets out, like you know her son and daughter. I think is they, the, the, the sister or whatever. The, the people that she gets out of her house and like, look, you've got to go for somewhere else safe. Like we're hiding out here. Like it's not safe. Like yeah. They they are feeling you know they they acknowledge that like this is dangerous and it's sort of they they can't you know just do certain things and it feels like you say it's contemporary it's a sci-fi film about this weird technology but it's contemporary um and you you do sort of feel that um throughout um and and again they do it though because again this is an alternate 1999 like uh, by keep reminding you that it's it's that sort of this is real you know the technology is one thing but skunk and nancy appears at the end <laughs> and so you sort of have these things where you're like oh yeah yeah i remember that band and that's cool yeah. but it's like it's it still sets in this scene where you're like yeah there's this boiling pot of things going on behind beyond this story um and and you know but I want to talk about the police. We'll talk about the race relations, I think, off the off the back of it. But there's this thing about police in this film as well. And you know, we, uh, you and I have talked about this before. That there's there's sort of a, a Hollywood films lionizes the police. You know, and action films have been um, some of the biggest culprits of this, from Lethal Weapon to Die Hard to all these different films. Not in any bad way, you know. Not not always in in the worst possible way, but it, it, it lionizes also the rogue cop. This idea of doing the thing and, and sort of you know this cowboy you know thing, of, even from Dirty Harry. You gotta go beyond. You gotta break the rules. You yeah, know? Oh, yeah. She's keeping be... keeping us down. You know, if you gave me a gun and let me kill who I wanted for one day, I could clean up this hellhole. That's it. Yeah, you don't know what it's like, yeah, pen pusher. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> it's it's that sort of thing and that, that take this takes that mm. and really sort of like you know tries to upend it by going like no road cops are dangerous like yes and the police is massively corrupt like yes you've got this commissioner at the top who's very straight laced but he has clearly got little to no control over what's happening in the streets mm-hmm. um and I kind of like that they've got that. And it's it, it, it struck a chord with me recently. I mean, I know that America's gone through this thing at the moment and it's, it's happening here as well, but, you know, defund the police and police brutality. Um, but I'm sat watching this film this week in a week where uh, a, a police officer uh, has been arrested and obviously has now been sentenced for using his um, uh, position, is, is sort of his credentials to arrest a woman kidnap the woman rape and kill that woman um and in response to that into the response to the sentencing the police have given advice to women to say well if you're being arrested by a single male officer challenge that male officer or call or call for other police or you know and um another police officer how how to prepare yourself for your Kidnapping and rape by the and murder by the police department. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be prepared. Have you have your anti-police rape, you know, uh, yeah. defense kit ready to go. Um, and yeah, you know, <laughs> that's 
Yeah, that, that's that's pretty bit. And further advice was sort of things like, you no, know, that women need to be more street smart and know their legal rights when coming to be arrested. And it's like this is all baffling. And then the, the Met has put in place like, well, to make sure this doesn't come in, you know, these things don't happen again, we're going to have um, more internal police judiciary. You know, like, so the the watchman watching the watchman again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with, with that going in the background in Britain at the moment. Um, it felt like watching these two cops, and it's not race, that, that was obviously isn't, isn't race relations, it's different, but watching these two cops and then the sort of, not so much the cover-up, well, there is this, they want to cover it up, but the instant sort of the thing at the end when Mace is attacked and stuff, this instant thing of like, no, no, you're the one in the wrong, and then the beating sort of felt like, yeah, not only is this about, this isn't about race, this is just, this is just the police. The police are, 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 are a fraternity, and it could be a black man, a black woman, a white woman. You know, probably not a, a white male. We're probably the safest of, of anyone. But if you're considered a threat to that fraternity, like you, you are in, in real problems. And well, that's what I, I want to push back on that because I, I think it is about race. Um, oh, the film, and, this film and, definitely and, is. But. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's about race in real life too. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that police brutality you know can't be colorblind right quote mm. whatever the hell that is um but not to say it can't happen to to white people too um or, or to any other ethnic group um it does but you know it's you see uh when mace is fleeing the way in which ralph Fiennes can get in anywhere right yeah. he's you and i right yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. he could get in you know, I've waltzed into so many hotels, you know, I <laughs> yeah. can't even tell you the number of VIP areas I've just walked into. Um, you know, he's that guy. She cannot do that. Mm. And not only that, but when she's running from the police, you see the way in which she's coded as a criminal. And I think the, the reality is, um, you know, races, you know, police can do this, especially to people without power and when you take power away based on you know class race all of these other things and and race is a huge one then you can be completely in the right and you're just moving through a crowd quickly not just cops but you know society because of the way we've coded black Mm. bodies are going to assume oh that must be the criminal i'm scared right that's a woman running you know from murderers yeah, uh, I think that's really quite brilliant. Uh, no, you you, you are right. You are, you are definitely right. There is, you know, hundred percent. There's, a, there's the, the race is is a factor, and um, you know, if I were, as you know, I'm a I'm a middle aged white guy. I, I do not feel under threat from the police, you know, but I know that other groups do, whether that be race or or, or gender. But there's a, there's a great moment you say about the, you know the maze thing. One of the things I'll highlight is at the very start of the film when you see Iris being chased down by um, Steckler and Engelman, they get called in. There's a, there's a, over the radio. It's sort of like we know you're doing this. It's been what are you doing? And Steckler calls in and says, "Black male aggressive acting acting suspiciously. We're handling it." And the the radio goes, "All right," mm-hmm. and leaves them to it. Mm-hmm. Like he's not going to, you know, it's the fact that they're chasing down this white woman, but the fact they re- they report it in that it's a it's a black male that they're chasing down, and the person on I don't know the radio controls like yeah fair enough, 
as you say, it's coded. It's just it's just that thing of like, oh, they're doing that. That's fine. That's the expectation, and they're able to manipulate the system just using that simple mm-hmm. wording as well. So right at the start of the film as well, sort of tells you exactly where this is going to go. That's a that's a great point, and that same kind of coding is used to you know. I was scared for my life. Well, that that in the U.S. that justifies killing whoever the hell you wanted to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I um, you know I know cops who I think are good people. I have they they have a culture, and my problem is with the culture and how they assume things, even talking about politics. Um, and that's often true. Uh, but so I mean, I don't want to say all cops are are terrible, but I've grown up my entire life with stories about um, people, especially young black men who committed suicide in the back of a squad car mm. with a gun by shooting themselves in the back. Yeah. And this is, this is yeah. not an isolated incident, right? You know, um, you know, I mean, and you can get away with that kind of stuff, especially in a lot of jurisdictions. Now that's not the average cop's experience, right? They, you know, um, you know, but those especially bad actors, uh, you know, who have the most complaints get protected by the rest. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is a scene, you know, especially when she's being beaten and the all and all of those cops are, you know, they're the same cops who are going to uh, take those guys into custody and ultimately shoot, which I don't believe would ever happen. Yeah. Um, but they, when they're kicking Angela Bassett, I, I mean, I can't imagine anyone not being filled with rage at that scene, which is obviously Rodney King, right? Um, oh yeah, yeah. The way I it's mean, done. One yeah. of the things. One of the things I'd, I'd like to you know to point out on this is is she she subdues. It's you know we'll go into around the houses, but she subdues uh, Engelman and and Steckler. Like she beats him. Like you know it's a great scene. Like she kicks ass. Like I love Angela Bassett in this film. Yeah. Um. And she, she, but she doesn't like, you know, kill them. She handcuffs them to each other, um, and it's that sort of, you know, and it's that point I think, that that that, that um, Engelman kills himself. Like it's that thing of like, I don't want to get found out for this. He's the better of the two, marginally, um, but it's the fact that like she's like, look, I'm trying to explain. I'm getting down. I'm trying to explain, and like it's she's one. Complying. She's complying, and it's one right. police officer comes in and tells her no, and hits her over the back with the with his baton, and instantly like seven more just appear and just start railing on her. Like they do not stop to ask, like what's going on, what's the point. They just cut, start coming in and wailing on her, and they're all like, "Get down, stay down." And I'm like, "She's down," and you are yeah. still like led, and it is hard to watch. Um. All you and, need is for one of them to apply a chokehold, and you have Eric Garner. All you yeah. need is for one to step on the back, and it's Mike Flynn. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that thing is, it's like what we see, they call it a contagious fire, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, you know, cops will be confronting somebody. They've got a gun ready. Some of them, the gun is still holstered. But now a cop, one cop, you know, swung the baton in that scene. One cop fires, and now all you know, as in that moment, is, oh, this person is fighting the cops. The yes. cops are now firing. My buddy is now firing. Now it's us versus them. Now yeah. it's a military situation. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and obviously, you know, all the guys are wearing riot gear. They've got riot shields and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it it is quite sort of because you know, a kid, even it's a kid that breaks it up. I mean, not a young kid, but he's mm. sort of like he must be thinking like a teenager jumps on and he's like, "Whoa, Lee, 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 you know, get off her!" And that sort of instigates a, a, a wider fight, sort of riot at the moment in which people are fighting the cops. I mm. quite like that. I quite at first I was like. I don't know if I buy this kid, but then I, I kind of like that it, but then I was like, no, I like that, right? That it's the the kid who's just like, I can't take this anymore. What yeah. you're doing is unjust and just jumps on the back of this cop and seeing him, then the other people are like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it, F this, we're fighting these cops. It, yeah, it's the, it's, the, it's the sort of that thing that, you know, the, it unleashes the flood. And you see the barriers come down, and they sort of they run at the police and stuff. Oddly, the, I like the fact that the military are like, no, no, fucking problem, and step back. <laughs> um, Probably yeah. more true than that. yeah, yeah. Um, but that whole sort of scene at the end is 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 fascinating in that respect. If you you get that thing, um, the one thing I would dink this film for um, is Vincent D'Onofrio. And I'll say that Vincent D'Onofrio, you know, he obviously more recently has been sort of lauded for his uh, performance as, as Kingpin on the Daredevil show. <clears throat> and in that, it was more about that swing he has from utter calm to, you know, blinding rage. He's just too cartoony in this. And I think, you know, that like he, he, he just comes across constantly like the most evil sort of corrupt copper all the time, snarling the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and it's too, a bit too much where, you know, like the mo when you watch the video back, everything from the very beginning, but when you watch the video back, when you see the killing of Jericho one, like the way that they're sort of acting, like it, it should feel, I said, I wasn't going to say this, but it mm. should feel like it's a ramping up of tension of frustration like him pulling the trigger at the end should feel like a stuck at the shut up like a, a full stop, yeah. but it doesn't. It feels like he's waiting for Jericho to shut to stop to talk stop talking so he can shoot him. Um, yeah. it, it feels inevitable, and uh, you know although it should feel sort of inevitable, it should be a build up of tension to be like, is he, is, is this going to happen? Like, and it, it, it's you're obvious. right, and that's it's directed as a build up of tension. Yeah, but he Jericho one play is played that way. But he's yeah, and but you're right. D'Onofrio is the weak link uh, in that scene, and in, in a lot of his scenes, he's just played too arch. He thinks he's played. He thinks he's in, he thinks he's in the last Boy Scout. Um. <laughs> I hadn't identified that, but you, you, I mean, and that scene felt off in exactly that way. But you're mm. right about D'Onofrio there. Um, I would say my criticism of the portrayal of the cops is that I mean, despite everything I've said, it, I think overall it's a it's a relatively nuanced portrayal mm. nobody in this movie outside of those two cops right but nobody in this movie is totally bad totally good um i mean you know the the guy who what's his name uh who's got uh, faith hostage basically oh uh, Philo Gant. yeah yeah he's bad i mean ultimately there are a few bad guys but i mean it's a pretty nuanced movie in which the good guys are pretty awful too yeah and you know, the one exception, and, and my complaint is that I, I like that you know, the cops, and, and I would consider um, Ralph Fiennes as an ex-cop, is you mm -hmm. know also mm -hmm. part of that conversation. My criticism is the commissioner. 
And mm-hmm. and I think that it's worth pointing out that Max has been defeated, thrown off a building by the time we see this stuff with Angela Bassett and the mm-hmm. riot outside, which is like we've passed the climax of this movie. Yeah, yeah. What, what should be right, according to traditional scripts, the climax. And there's this whole second climax, but it doesn't feel like, you know, a Marvel second climax where it feels like, oh, you actually do care about this race stuff and and you're going to give us, you know, this whole other thing. Mm. Um, but the idea that the cops would shoot a fellow officer prior to him firing um, and the, that that is so neatly cleaned up and that the commissioner has listened to, has, you know, used illegal technology to see the clip and that he would arrest those cops on the spot. I don't believe any of that. Um, But I also think it's very convenient because the movie wants to present this nuanced uh, examination of culture and all of these different, you know, this cross section of 1990s Mm. culture with millennial concerns. And it wants to not be utterly on the side of the protesters, right? It wants to portray a more nuanced uh, set of characters. And yet its solution to, you know, bad cops and to criminals, you know, murderers in the police department is the good cops will take care of that. All you need is a commissioner. You don't need structural reform. Right. And the truth is, those cops would be would never be put on trial. No. And if they were put on trial, they'd be found innocent statistically. But and this is where I think that I agree that the ending of the film feels they, they try to have a, a, an and I wonder if this is notes from the studio, but they try to give it like an, a, an optimistic gloss at the end of the film. Like there's this little uptick of optimism at the end, because even the climaxes like themselves like aren't. Like Ralph, you know, yeah, he, he, you know, he doesn't get faith, you know, but it's that again thing of like, well, there's an acknowledgement that she was bad for you anyway, and it's really Mace that you should be with, but he doesn't really get Mace either. It's like, oh, you, you know, we might get that in future. Um, so there's not even that sort of you know thing, but they they do give you enough, and then obviously they killed Anafrio because Engelman, uh, the Steckler character, because Engelman kills himself. And then, but the, the, it ends with them being taken away in the police. You know, uh, Mace is now being protected by the police and, and all this other stuff. And it ends with the twenty, the two thousand celebration. Like you, you get to the new year, and then you sort of have this panning of everyone celebrating together, partying, and you see like you know, there's a woman kissing a uh, a soldier and all this other stuff. And it's like, this isn't the film I've just been watching. <laughs> <laughs> You, you know, it's it's fine, and I'm not going to complain. It's, it's a real bugbear. It's a minor nitpick, but that that final thing is, I'm, I'm still going. What happened to the riot that kicked off ten minutes ago? Like, did that? Did everyone yeah. stop to start kissing each other for the new year? Of course, they bloody didn't. Like, this makes no sense. Um, but it's, again, like, I completely agree. And one of the things that I hate this in in other films is the good the good captain, you know, or yeah. the. The, the one that steps in because I'm like, but the but the thing is, you might be the good commissioner. This still happened on your watch. Right. And and the press is going to make that point. Right. Mm. You know, I mean, there are good politicians. There are mm. good cops who we would agree with a lot of the criticism of it, uh, of them for things that happen on their watch. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, and I love the way I love the sort of 
you know, 1999 flipping to 2000. Mm-hmm. You and I remember that as an event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I love the way it's shot. But you're you're completely right, and and I find myself thinking it's not just you know like what happened to that riot with the fighting the cops. I mean, yeah, they're going to be arrests of half the crowd now, right? Because like, yeah. the commissioner's going to be like, yeah, you know, those guys are murderers, but these guys punched cops. That kid yeah. is going to jail too. Also, nobody cares. It's like bodies just fall from skyscrapers all the time. You know, <laughs> nobody's concerned about that. Um, and then also. What happens next week? Next week, you know, even if the cops try to hold on to the footage, right, the brain recording Mm. uh, of this murder, uh, Jericho One is like a tiny Malcolm X. I mean, he's Mm. a big deal nationally. He's like the most prominent. She calls him the most prominent black man in one of the most prominent black men in America. When it's discovered that the cops executed him and that they have withholding footage of it, you're going to get those riots anyway, okay? And you're going to get massive social... I mean, the country is... uh, the L.A. is already a powder keg. So Mm. they haven't prevented anything. I mean, you're right that it's this kind of, like, gloss of a good ending, but... Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, yeah, this feels like... If you were to have this in history, if you were to be looking back at this in history, you know, 50 years from, you know, 2050, some hit sort of, yeah, 2100, looking back at it, 100 years in the future, this story is chapter one. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, th- these events happened. These two cops killed Jericho one, and the evidence was found following these events. That then resulted in massive police reform and, and, and race riots across the country. Da, 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 da. That's, the, that's the history. You know, what changed? What did politicians do? What did police reform come in? Or how did the police react to this? Did it reach court? Did it, you know, these are the things. Like, there's a whole, and, and I think really, when you watch this, and this, this goes back to those action tropes we were talking about, because the same with all these other films. Um, you know, when you look at this film, they, they put a, a nice little bow on it. Don't, like, as you say, don't worry. The, the good cops will deal with it. Move on. You know, nothing else to see here. Move along. <laughs> and you, you know, and Mason and um, and Lenny are going to get together, and it's all going to be lovely and all this other shit. Probably not. But that's what you, you're supposed to take away from this film. They give you this thing of like they've had a ticking clock. You've reached it. It's two thousand. You know, move on. But as you say, like that never happens. <laughs> so there's all these sort of like things. I think um, a, a film I really like that actually, again, actually really deals with, um, again, directly with the with the the, the LA riots. It's a film called uh, Dark Blue. Hmm. Uh, we cut Russell um, and uh, Ving Rhames, and again in that, um, Kurt Russell plays a corrupt cop. Um, that uses any means necessary to to get the bad guys kind of thing, but then gets and basically gets discovered for th- this killing that happened, and it gets investigated, and that literally goes through that thing of like, yeah, does this thing happened? Now we're looking at all the ramifications and how that sort of you know, that flash moment that that flash fire becomes a forest fire, mm-hmm. and that's what I think. You know, there's almost like a moment in this where I was thought the same. I was like. 
Well, when this gets to the press, <laughs> and this because this is going to have to go to court because although they're dead, you're going to have to explain why these two police officers opened fire in a crowded area on New Year's Eve, and what's been happened, and they've now got evidence of Jericho one's death. Like, yeah, there is some, there is going to be um, all kinds of things. I can imagine there's going to be sort of black activism groups with lawyers coming out to sue the Los Angeles Police Department. You know, there's books. There's all kinds of stuff going to happen out the back of this, and I almost want to see that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is the problem that that I have, and I know you have, with a lot of films where it's the sort of like the denouement is the the most interesting, or like what would happen next. Like you successfully yeah. destroyed society. You were a dumb disaster movie, but I really can't stop imagining these subtle ramifications. I I still like this film i don't feel mm. like that with this film um but you know first of all in 2050 the first question is um whoever is doing the observing are they underwater or have cancer yet from <laughs> the effects of global warming because we've yep. destroyed this planet to a remarkable degree um and then secondly i, I think it's amazing how much we think these events are going to transform everything right mm. um i mean we've had a lot of riots in this country's history uh ones that grabbed the national stage before the la riots um you know 94 95 it felt like things were sort of coming unglued there would be major change i mean we've had pro mass protests and and rioting in the wake of you know the ser a massive series of police killings mm. uh in the last few years you know, what has happened due to that? Really very little. Mm. Um, uh, some liberal cities, right, are trying to defund the police or create, you know, you know, get rid of the policeman's union, create new sort of peacekeeping forces that also have um, therapists and, and people to mm. respond to those kinds of calls. But that's a slow process. And that's in these liberal enclaves. Yeah. There's been no national police reform. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's been on local levels. I can tell you, like, St. Louis has changed how it did, did things a little, um, you know. But, yeah, I mean, and, and what happens when that commissioner is forced to resign? Because he's a good guy, he's most likely going to fall on his sword in the ensuing scandal. And then we follow our characters going like, well, shit. You know, the cops are dead. There's yeah. been no police reform. And the only the commissioner, the only guy who would have ever stopped this is now out as a result. How do we even understand this? And, and that's the thing. So, like, you know, uh, don't wrong, I do. I do really like this film, but it does leave this thing of like you get this. Oh, it's 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 what it's the Hollywood ending, isn't it? And, you, you know, you, yeah, you can't have a, a 10 hour film that then covers off like you say the, the 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 political intrigue and the sort of the the you know social ramifications of a film but i often think about this with other films as well you know um like daft daft films like you know beverly hills cop uh when they're sort of racing around the city sort of doing stuff and it's sort of like like you know eddie murphy's completely out of jurisdiction in that film still shooting people and stuff and you're like yeah no, I'm not sure. This would this would go to some sort of tribunal, like you know. It's it, I know it's an action film, and they have to think about those things. But like, it's this thing of like the glossing over of of the actual 
ramifications um, of these events. Um, but, but this film wants you to think about that. Like it's telling yeah. you that this is the thing, that there are going to be these things. Like Mace even says it, like they actually say mm-hmm. it, like we need to release this. Well, if you release it, it'll, result, you know, it'll result in riots everywhere. Well, that may be a good thing. Okay, so does that happen? You know, it's out there now. So, um, well, and yeah. I like I like that discussion. You know, and it's a sort of classic black white stereotype, right? Mm. You know, the 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 black person saying things need to change. Maybe some stuff needs to burn for mm. people to wake up and change things. And and the white person saying that sounds really bad. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. People are gonna die. You know, um, but. But that's a nuanced, I mean, that's a stereotypical sides, but it's, it's, a, it's a nuanced conversation in which we're still having, right? About mm. whether, mm-hmm. you know, riots are the voice of the oppressed. And, you know, yeah, this is bad, but when the hell does the media come in when something's not being burned? You know, yeah. you can kill a whole lot of black kids before the media listens. Uh, yes. But you set fire to one Jay-Z Penny and watch <laughs> you know, the national media descend. And that, it's tr- it is very true. And I think this is, you know, calling that into question. I mean, like, you know, the, and, and Mace acts as that character, isn't she? She's the one that sort of like, if she's doing anything in this film, like, you know, um, you know, she. Like, you, you were right to say earlier on, like, weirdly, if they'd have switched this right at the end in round... And it had been Lenny that went to the police commissioner. Like, I'm pretty sure he would have been listened to maybe more. Because, you know, yes, they hate each other, but they've got this past relationship. Um, but it's just, it, it, there is this sort of this feel, you know, of... Um, what, what we should say is, as well, to highlight, you know, Mace, when they do the separation thing, like, Mace um, is sent off with the, with the thing. She has the evidence for this, for this event, the killing of Jericho. And as you said, there's a double climax. It's well done. However, the fighty-fighty climax of the film, the punchy-punchy climax, which is what we get, is actually basically a sweaty love triangle between three white people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so there is that moment when you're a bit like, maybe, and again, this is 1995, I understand, but like maybe even the casting of this could have been a little bit more... um, more interesting if the Mac, Mac character of Max. Mm, no, Latin I don't know. Something. Just but something. You, but then you've got the whole thing of like the Latin killer, you know, yeah, the whole that, like that, basic that's... instinct thing. Like, oh, glad you're including gay people. They're apparently homicidal maniacs. Yeah, there's that. And I, said, I was wondering, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's the, the thing is, as well, the problem with it is, as you've said, Mace is the only sort of like likable character in this, and she's good, great in it. Everybody else isn't. So the moment you start to try and sort of you know, make it more diverse, you do have that moment like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to give some diversity, but the fact of the matter is, they are all deplorable. <laughs> so, um, you know, equally, people in minorities and you know, uh, different sexual preferences could be pricks as well, but. It yeah. needs to be sort of special. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's, but yes, it's, it's. Um... Mike Phillips and I have this line about you know Necropolitan where we debated racial inclusiveness and all of this mm-hmm. stuff, and we agonize over it, and finally reach this line where, um, uh, you know, Mike said, uh, "I'm not okay. I'm, I'm done worried about 
not having enough like Latinos being condemned to hell. <laughs> like that might not be the best representation. <laughs> like maybe we should not, you know, worry about like, you know, uh, you know, transsexuals can be psycho rapists and killers too. Damn it. You know, we need more representation. Ah, uh, that is not the problem with mm. the transsexual communities depictions. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fine line. And I know people get, um, you know, uh, can be offended by it, so I'd be I'd be careful. But yeah, it, you know that 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 love triangle. Um... Let's talk about that love triangle, because I mean, mm. I, I think that, I mean, we we talked about a lot of layers of this movie, but we've not talked about the central love triangle, which is mm. so key to it. Um, and you know, the key scene here is, for me is when. Uh, Mace is sort of talking uh, to him in her uh, house. And they, I mean, there's so much fantastic dialogue in this movie. Mm. And, and Ralph Fiennes is amazing in his delivery of a lot of it. To, almost to the point where it doesn't come off as as impressive, you know, like, the, you know, not to harp on them, but the Marvel shows can do a, a decent <clears> line <throat> and everybody goes, oh, my it's amazing. Yeah. But Ralph Fiennes is delivering these amazing gems of lines. And it just comes off as like the seedy, depressed guy mm. saying this. Um, but he says, have you ever been in love with somebody who didn't love you back? You know, and when they didn't love you back, did you love them any less? You know, this sense of I really quite like I mean, it, you know. I always have like been fascinated by this idea that a lot of times in life, there's this thing of people, you know, when you love somebody, it turns them off. Right. Yeah. So sometimes you get involved in these sort of chains where it's like, wait, okay. So you're buying me dinner and I'm buying her dinner and they're mm. buying someone else's dinner, you know, and it's like, uh, really, really weird. And so, I mean, I like that. I think his, although he seems really obsessive to a point where, We'd be like, you know, me too, me too. He's yeah. talking her for half this movie. I do, I do find this resonant and interesting. Yeah, well, it's a, it's the fact that, like, you know, and again, it's not, it's never stated, but it is implied that faith, no, you know, that, that faith is the reason he is out of the police. So, you know, to me, and again, this might be just my head canon. Like, this obsession comes from. Not only does he love her, and he, he clearly does, he's, he's got this obsession, but she is linked with the reason he is now in the position he's in. And so, maybe. like, yeah. Yeah, maybe. It's not, it's never said, but like that, to me, that's how I sort of take some of this stuff, like, you know, and I think that sort of comes with it. Be a lot, I, I, you're right about that scene where he says, like, you know, have you ever loved anyone? They're not really that, because then when it pans to Mace and she's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, that's actually, I mean, I think it's pretty subtly done. You know, like, yeah. you don't get her, Angela Bassett, making goo-goo eyes and the camera, you know, close up of, you know. She has unrequited, right. yeah, she has unrequited feelings for him, but that does not mean she's going to give him an inch. Like, yeah, he gets, she gives him a panning, like, every time, but not rightfully so. But partly because she wants him to be better. Like, she's acting to make him better. She wants him to be, because I think one of the things, you see a flashback of when she first meets him, and he's, you know, it, there's been a killing. I think it's her husband who obviously killed. 
in a drug shooting and he goes into the house and he finds like um lenny sat there with her son sort of like keeping him calm and this other stuff and it's sort of they build this relationship out of that and he's obviously a friend to the family following that so like she knows that there's good in him and it's that i know, I know it's cliche but it's never it's never although it's sort of cliche it's never dealt with as a cliche in this film like they don't sort of go that in fact that line's never there like you know other films to be like i know there's good in you you have to reach inside and find that good like she's more like no you're a prick and you need to stop being a prick um and so i, you know. I love that point about the line and I, I just want to point out that i mean you see like okay he's another good cop right because he mm. cares to talk to this black kid right uh sit him down and care about what he's feeling but it also the fact that he's remained friends with that family also suggests like at the same time that is what makes Mace under, fall in love with him, right? He's mm-hmm. a good, good guy. But it also suggests his uh, the frequency with which he cross lines. Yeah, because you know you're not supposed to, you know, get that closely involved permanently with a suspect's family. You know. Yeah, so I, I totally agree. We also sort of it, it hints at his. Um attachment like he gets attached to a lot of things and that sort mm. of you know um uh but you know this and this is why i love this one because it does it, it never tells you anything but you get hints at things like you can build up characters in this and again this is why i think this film flopped because it's, <laughs> it's not an action you know adventure sort of like this isn't an actual this is in many cases like there are, there are moments of character study and you know, interspersed with good action scenes, there's some good, you know, there's some interesting bits and pieces. There's a pretty good car chase, and the fight at the end's, you know, pretty good. Looks great, but it's not, um, you know, it's not those other films. Mm. Um, and I, I like that, that you keep getting these glimpses of what these characters are, or what they have been, or what they could be. And, and you know, the fact that again, like Mace, when you see her turn up at um, and again, it's never stated. It's never in clunky fucking dialogue in any of this film. She turns up following this shooting. She's in a diner waitress's costume outfit. And it says it's, I don't know how many years it is before. But then you now know, since then, she has, she is now trained to be a bodyguard. She get, has her own limousine. She has clientele. She's running her own business. Like her husband was killed and she didn't mope about it and feel like no she's like mace has stepped in and, and done something about it and again in there are other films where there would be that dialogue of like you made something of your life you stepped up and you protected your family like it doesn't need to be said because they know it and it's shown in the film that she's become a very competent woman like you know she's competent she's she's independent and it doesn't need to be stated it just is <laughs> well also, I mean, it's interesting, you know, I mean, Catherine Bigelow's role is interesting here. Um, you know, here we have a female director at a mm-hmm. time when that was even more of a rarity uh, than today. Um, and here we have this strong woman character and the movie never puts a spotlight on her and says mm-hmm. she's a strong woman. And even in her action scenes where, you know, she's kicking ass. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seem invulnerable. There's never, you know, the superhero stands, you know, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it just avoids all of those cliches. And I love it for it. And, yeah, and it makes me love the character of Mace all the more in this film. Like, you know, she, she is definitely one of my favorites. Um, and I, I, I think that w- weirdly, and, and this is something I found baffling, 
when I watched, sorry, when I was reading the reviews for this film on those um, aggregate reviews. <laughs> no, well, I wanted to because I, I know, went on because I, I enjoyed this film and I wanted to go on and see what does it, what does it have on IMDb, and then how does that sort of translate into the written reviews? The amount of people that referred to this film as misogynistic. And then didn't really give an example or justification. I said, this is a sick, misogynistic film. And I'm like, I'm not sure how or what you've been watching, but I don't consider this film to be misogynistic in that, in, in, in any more so than other action films. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, that is the point. Um, yeah. I mean, there are times watching it where, I mean, this is this is another aspect that we haven't talked about is the is the snuff film quality, um, mm. you know, and the the sort of BDSM, you know, recording snuff films, putting the recorder on the victim's head so she mm. can witness uh, the killer's Road joy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at raping and killing with an exacto knife. Mm. Um, I mean, this is some dark shit right mm. especially for mainstream hollywood um i i wouldn't say especially for 95 because you know um there were a few i mean this is post basic instinct i mean yeah. you know um but you know in which this stuff i mean i would say not especially for 95 because i think we're way more repressed today especially yeah. about sex um you know and weirdly because you know, of the left as much as the right. You know, it's not the Catholic League anymore. It's instead mm -hmm. voices on the left criticizing, you know. And, and and so I can see there are times watching this movie when I sort of have that concern, when I'm thinking like, oh, God, Juliette Lewis is like being gagged and, and raped on camera. You know, it's like every and Juliette Lewis has got to. I mean, she moves like a snake on stage, by the way. Mm. Amazing. You know, singing performance. I mean, stunning. She, her. She, I mean, the fact that she did not become, you know, um, you know, another a rock star in real life or something is also shocking. Well, she has got a band and sort of stuff, but I think it's a bit too, again, left of mainstream to be to have caught on. But her performances are great. I've seen a couple of those. But I, you I know see what I'm saying? Like, there are moments where you're like. Yes. You're, these women, you know, this but, is directed by a woman, but there, a lot of women are wearing skimpy outfits. There's a lot of prostitution. There's a lot of rape, bind, torture, kill kind of stuff. There is. But I would counter that by saying, like, you know, you said about this as being the down and out. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. we live this this whole this 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 is like we we talked when we talked about um uh, Little Shop of Horrors, you talked about Skid Row. Like th th this is that sort of like, you know, turn that into a 90s act. These aren't people I love that, that comparison. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> like Little Shop of Horrors. You know, the, the Catherine Bigelow version. I'll see what else I can pull in from our back catalogue. Um, but the, the point is, like, these are people that have to make money any way they can. Like, Iris is a prostitute, yeah? Mm -hmm. And so the, 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 the fact she is a prostitute is a part of the plot like she she has to be in that role and so the clothing is sort of part and parcel but the, the point is again like with juliet lewis on stage like you know she's in this this nightclub owned by philo sex sells the point is like yeah the film's showing this but i could also go to a nightclub in any main city that's doing this and i would actually see this on stage so it's not wrong it's not it's not excessive 
and I would say as well, the 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 the, the acts of violence against women in this film, especially the rape and killing of Iris, the way it's shot as well, though, isn't glorified. Like it is gross. Like it is, it is there to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, it's not like it's not one of those films. It's not one of those. I want to be careful here. It's not one of those Hollywood rape scenes where, you know, it's done for titillation or it's done whether you can go, well, she was sort of into it, which makes me feel ill even saying that. This is a killer, a rapist and a killer committing an act, a violent act. And again, like I said about the start of the film, where you lived through this robbery. Mm hmm. The point of this, the clips thing is like, and, and this is why I actually think this is quite good. They are going to throw you as a viewer into this and make you feel massively uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And again, you have to be Lenny. This is the point of this. Like, you, because you, Lenny has to go through this, and this is a woman he knows, and you know, and this sort of thing. It then sets you up for the, the reenactment with Juliet Lewis later on. But the point is that like, you're supposed to feel gross. This is a gross world. And this act is gross, and you as a viewer are supposed to feel gross. And I kind of, I kind of, they could have, because what they could have done, again, and this is the thing this film doesn't do, they could have easily have had um, Ralph Fiennes wearing the, the squid, you know, experiencing it, and then coming out and saying, you know, doing his acting of like, oh, that's gross, oh, that's disgusting, and then saying and telling what he saw. You know, he could have been like, "Mate, this is what oh, I've yeah. seen. I know where I know where they were killed. It was it was a violent." Like, you know, they could have pulled back. And I I I guarantee that at one point they probably had that note, or there was a discussion about, "Do we have to show this?" Um, and it feels grubby and horrible. And I'm not to say I like it is wrong. I don't, I don't like it, but I appreciate that they make you feel uncomfortable. And yeah. and again, I can see why if you're sat in an audience and you've taken your date to this and you're going, <laughs> this was, this isn't the uh, 1995. <laughs> yeah, this isn't the film. The trailer was telling me I was about to watch. And so I sort of appreciate them. Like, the guts of them to do it. At that moment, does that reassure her or make her um, scared? You're, like, yeah, you're about like, to put your arm around you. Go, no, no, not, not, not now. Not the time. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll, I mean, no, I agree with you. I mean, I'm just saying that there are those moments where I had that sort of, you know, discomfort, you know. Yeah. But having said that, I mean, look, I, I ultimately take the side that you're explaining now. Um, it, it's also worth saying in that in that snuff film of, of Iris, it's actually incredibly restrained. So, mm -hmm. you know, first of all, there's no shot in which he turns to the side because it, because it's a uh, first person POV yeah. uh, device, you never see the long shot that can sort of glamorize, you know, uh, a, you know, a man having sex with a mm -hmm. woman. Uh, there's no that potentially could do that. He never turns to the side and looks in a mirror and gives you that sort of thing. The other thing is even from, you know, which which might tend to glamorize. Even from a first-person point of view, he doesn't. The film doesn't show him looking down. No. In fact, you know, it doesn't show him. So it doesn't show not just the penetration, but also the penetration of the exacto knife. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's so restrained that at the end of it, I'm not sure that it's 
that she's that there's sex or murder or which one I just watched. And I have to have Ralph Fiennes say he raped and killed her for me to be like, oh, I guess both happened there. Because camera doesn't. No. And again, yeah, they could have gone a lot more graphic. And it isn't at all. But one of the things, again, I'll say is because it's from a POV shot, it's done very claustrophobic as well. Um, it's it's it, it again. It's not done on a bed. It's not done on a bed. It's not done again on a sofa or anything like that. Where it, you know, it's done under a sink in a bathroom. Like he chases her down, traps her down, cuts and the exact the exacto. He doesn't kill her. Sorry, I should say he doesn't kill her with the exacto knife. That, so oh, with, is it he strangles power? her. He strangles yeah. her. He, he, so and this is when you know I apologize to any listeners. <laughs> He basically, because I think, yeah, because it is the way this whole act is 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 disturbing and, and fascinating. Is that uh, this squid technology, this thing they can put in your head, so you can experience what somebody else's sensory uh, thinks. I, I'm curious as to how that works because it obviously plugs into the brain. Okay, so you get vision. He says, and you get vision, you get sounds, you get smells, and you get you get feel. So one of the things I'm curious about is okay. So if it's reading these impulses from the brain, there's obviously as a, as a victim because because again finds actually says this when he he talks about one of the other clips about two college girls or whatever about you know basically he hires um some um model looking dude basically sort of wear this stuff and then go sleep with a woman because it's it's not just the visuals you get the the physical reactions you mentioned you know like you could feel sex as a woman exactly so as as a victim, what you know, what you are getting is you are being forced to experience the physical thrill, pleasure of, of the person committing the act on you, and that confusion and panic and and like that horrified me, absolutely horrified me when it, when that was happening, because I'm like that must be because you know because you see it then it's depicted with, with Ralph Fiennes where he's sat in the in the back of the car showing it, and he shows like he's being re- he's revolted. But you can see that there's a physical reaction. Like he's like, I don't want to feel there's clear pleasure in this, but I'm trying not to because I'm revolted mm. by what I'm seeing. And this this dichotomy of sort of sensations to have them be as a victim, to have to have to go through that. And he uses the knife for fear. Like he, you can see he waves it in front of his own eyes. because She's blindfolded, but she can clearly see this knife through his eyes. And then he uses it to cut her T-shirt and then uses the mm. T-shirt to strangle her whilst he rapes her and yeah it's when i say um i watched it one and a half times that's one of the scenes where i'm like yeah i don't want to see that again like it's really hard viewing because it's so claustrophobic it's so mm. disturbing um but it's not graphic it's not it's not glorified it's not done for titillation in any way um and so when it is reenacted later on on faith and, and, and start, there he uses a belt instead of the strangle. Yeah, and you think that's going to be the thing, and you realise that that is being done for pleasure. Hmm. And it shows that thing. Like, I am gutted. <laughs> like, it really bothers me. Because they do that thing where he turns to the side, and it's the reveal that it's Max mm-hmm. is actually sleeping with uh, Faith, and it is actually done for pleasure. Um, and he hasn't killed. And he hasn't killed. And at her. that like, point, yeah. you don't know how into it she is, right? I well, mean, she's resisted, yeah. but is that... Well, weirdly, because the thing is, and this is the bit that makes it even grosser for me, is when he does it to, to Faith, 
with the mm-hmm. belt and everything, and he lets her go. He he has concern because he says to her, mm-hmm. "Are you all right? Did it hurt?" And she's like, "No, no." And she's clearly in. You know, she's gotten off on it as well. And it well, it just makes that she has. Well, no, I think she has. I I take it as like she's engaged in this relationship with Max now. And she's into his kink, and I think she knows. If if anything, I still think she knows that Max killed Iris, mm. um, and I think she's sort of slightly into this. And and so, and then it, so that makes me even more gutted towards the end, with it like, yeah, this this thing of like Max is a, is vile in this. But I, I, I would. Go, that... I'm going to go off on a rant when you're done. <laughs> no, go for it. Go with them. Go. I mean, so I I mean I can make the misogynist argument, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the argument for misogyny in this film. I mean, you just said, you know, I mean, the 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 only, you know, the faith is getting off on her best friends, uh, rape and murder, you know, knowing that the guy who did it, you know, it's it's a sort of like, you know, I mean, women secretly want this kind of thing. Um, Yeah, you can make this argument. Having said that, I think you're right that. These depictions of women as being exploited, as exploitable, as in a society that tolerates all of this, um, is absolutely clear. Uh, mm-hmm. Faith is not happy, you find out, in, in these different relationships, um, and, and was trapped mm. uh, by fear. You see her being hit. Um, yeah. This is a society, this is a depiction of life in which the exploitation of uh, the commodify, commodification of women's bodies as objects for male sexual gratification and as objects that can be controlled through violence is part of this world and is not mm-hmm. depicted uh, glowingly. Even the extent you, to which it would be in like uh, most Bond films or action films where you see the villain slap a girl and that's how you know he's a bad guy and yet it's shot from a distance. He still looks glorious yeah. doing it, you know. Um, he's powerful. This guy just seems like a scumbag when he does yeah. it. Um, so I would say that, I mean, the other thing I would say, and I think this is elaborating on what you've also said, I mean, I enjoy, and I and I am a an staunch advocate of transgression in uh, cinema and in art. Mm-hmm. Um the history of art has been made by transgressive art, frankly. And I think we have less of it today um, than we did in the 90s. Um, and, you know, to your point, it's not depicted in a way that says, this is good, go out and try this. Or, yeah. you know, I mean, the reality is that people, and, and I will say, you know, I mean, there is this problem that we today, you know, rant continues, um, confuse depiction with um, approval. Yes. Everybody understands that in a serial killer, you know, in a, in a slasher movie, you're not endorsing going to holiday camps and slashing coworkers, <laughs> yeah. right? But there's yeah. something about, like, you know, a serial killer killing a prostitute that, you know, people say it's a misogynistic thing. Well, I mean, this also gets into the point that this is part of human nature and we are, you know, violent animals and, Mm -hmm. you know, sex is kinky and, you know, this is an extreme obviously, but if you're right that she 
uh, that faith is into it. Him showing what's called aftercare, you know, um, if if that really is consensual. And I don't know if it's consensual because she doesn't she attacks Max. But I think that gets to the nuanced portrayal of like the bad choices women have to make mm-hmm. in this world. Um, oddly, we live in a culture today that is less tolerant of consensual kink and transgressive cinema and and, you know, confuses depiction of things with assent. Yeah. No, I agree. I absolutely totally 100% agree. The only thing I'll just, the, the two things I mentioned is firstly about the faith attacking Max is it's, it's, you see, one of the things that's, that's, again, this film is nuanced and I think people don't, you know, that, don't quite get it. I'm not saying people don't get it. That sounds really patronizing and stupid, but it's clear, like, she keeps telling Lenny to leave her alone. She's like, it's over, Lenny. Like, you know, you've got to sort of like back off. Don't come back and see me. Don't come back and see me. She he says it. She says it again and again. But whenever she says it, like, it's clear that she's actually go. She's she's calling out for help. Like, you know, when she's with Philo and other times, like, she's basically saying back off because when you're around, I get a slap in the mouth. So and and, so, and you're going to get yourself killed. And yeah, and so she's <laughs> trying to protect him. So there's clearly like there's still feelings and emotion there, and it's this thing of again, I think with Max at the end. She sort of knows what Max is up to. I think she, I clearly think she knows more than she lets on. And it's not until he puts a gun in Lenny's face that she's like, oh, this is real. And so, and someone I care for is going to get hurt. And that's when sort of it, she's like, no, no, you can't do that. And she sort of jumps on Max's back. So for that, I think, again, it's, it's really well done because she clearly has feelings for Max. Like, you know, they, they are, maybe it's just physical. I don't know. But she's willing to sacrifice that to save Lenny. Um, but the other thing I would say, you, this thing about sort of, um, and I 100% agree with this, that what's it, what you say, depiction being approval. This thing of just because you show something in a film, shows you approve it, drives me mental. It drives me absolutely mad. And um, I recently um, watched Straw Dogs. Hadn't seen mm. before. Watched it a couple of months ago. And that's got some brutal stuff in it. You know, that's got pictures of rape and home invasion and all this other stuff. And like you go, at the end, that that's again is a film that you go, yeah, I feel oddly uncomfortable <laughs> at the end of this film. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to take some of these characters and some of these interactions. Like, I've got to really think about this. But that does not mean that the film's saying that uh, the wife character in that can, you know, is into the the rape or is or that. Mm-hmm. The Dustin Hoffman character sort of like you know glorifies uh, killing people as home protection. No, <laughs> but it, you know, and, and I think that, look, if that film was done today, it was done relatively recently. It was awful, but if something like this is done again today, like the, the, you have these things of either it gets depicted as extreme horror, you know, sort of like martyr style or something like that, or you get this thing of like this film is. And you get, it, you know, the cancel culture comes out and tries to to, to rail on it. And I, I do think that we've lost this element of nuance in art where you can go, yeah, we can be complicated, dirty, violent creatures when we need to be, you know. Um, and, 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 you know, I think that's a, it's a shame that we have lost some of that. But th- th- you're right, this film has that as well. Well, I mean, to get to your point, we can be nuanced in art, but we can also be nuanced in these conversations. Mm-hmm. And and I do want to say I have read 
and and enjoyed a lot of these very same thought pieces, uh, think pieces that that we are apparently condemning here. Um, you know, I am totally open to reading uh, a condemnation of of something as yeah you know, racist or misogynistic, even if I don't agree with it. I like reading that point of view. Having said that, um, I uh, also you know want to say that um, there is a double standard. I mean, I do think there are ways in which you can <clears throat> depict you know a rape or, or something sexual in a way that is glamorizing it or that doesn't seem to be judging uh, yes. the person doing it. But I, but I, I do want to say, you know, you know, we live in a, a culture in which sex is the problem. But we can, you know, you and I like action movies. We can watch, you know, Bruce Willis slaughter a thousand people, <laughs> you know, and and it and he's, you know, looking stoic and badass doing it, you know, and there's no condemnation. Mm-hmm. Nobody, you know, we can watch so much violence and guts hanging out of people. I mean, you know, I, I watch a lot of this stuff online, you know, there's just mm. gut, people being gutted and beheaded and you know, it looks cool and it's Zack Snyder and it's not in slow motion and the blood is so beautiful. And then you see somebody, you know, um, you know, uh, have sex in a way that is aggressive or that you uh, are left thinking, I don't know if that was fully consensual or how do we understand? Let's have that conversation uh, or even things that shouldn't be that shocking. And that gets condemned to something that and i'm not saying that somebody can't be triggered by that but i'd also point out there are a lot of families that have lost people to gun violence who can't mm-hmm. go and watch a schwarzenegger film yes you know happily so it's not that people aren't triggered by that either no no i agree w- w- the weird thing about sex on screen is not and i have had this thought before which may be sort of you know i don't know whether it'll say anything about me i'm trying to articulate it in a, in a way that doesn't sound weird Everything Se- we've said tonight sounds weird. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Se- sex on screen comes in two ways, um, and I, you know, I find it interesting. This thing that there will be a moment in a film, and I think we, you know, again, I'm going to make reference to a previous film. Uh, we we talk about Demolition Man. In Demolition Man, um, uh, Sandra Bullock's character makes a point uh, following an action scene that. It includes uh, elevated um, endorphins and, da, 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 and you know, so will result in sex. And they have that virtual reality thing. And so, you, but, but again, that is a real trope. It, it, it's a bit of it's a, it's a satire we didn't really sort of, it's a, a trope we didn't really um, focus in on in our discussion. But this thing in action films of like, you know, action scene between male and female or, you know, then equal sex. And you get two kinds of sex scenes. You either get the um, Terminator is a good example. Terminator One, they're all chased down. They've just seen a police station absolutely obliterated. Arnie's gone through and destroyed all these people. They get they escape with this by the skin of their teeth, and then they go and they, then they go to a police station and they are all sort of like you know heart panic and they make they make love, okay. And it's depicted in a, in a sort of romanticized and a passionate way. And it's sort of like you know they have the the rousing music and it'll end with the hands clasping that kind of thing right and you get to not see the scene it's it's maybe a little bit of titillation but it's it's done in shadow and it'll be you see sheets moving and all that kind of crap and that's what you're going to see because then you'll get the other side when there's sort of there is that moment of um passion 
and it's going to be that rough sex. And it will be depicted by them clasping, falling over, and then it will cut to the end. And they're like, we can't show that, we can't show that. Cut, cut, cut. Let's just show them smoking a cigarette after or but, getting but you dressed. Know what happened here? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? And that's the same yeah. thing. It's that thing about sex. It's, there's a real panic of like, we have to show it being tender. We can show it being tender mm. and all this other stuff, but we can't show it being, unless it's being done for um, almost comedy effect or something like that. So more recently in Suicide Squad, they had a similar thing with, with uh, Harley Quinn and it's being done for comedy effect. You can do it for that, but you can't do it for... Also, you can do that also because the uh, in there the woman is more of the initiator and more aggressive than the man. And that is safer culturally now yeah. than the reverse. Which is fine, and I'm happy with that. But I, I just find interesting that, that you know, they have to show sex as being this sort of like intimate, um, uh, you know, romanticized thing. And they're happy with that. But the moment it becomes a bit of like, as we would like to refer to kids as bonking, it, it becomes it becomes and you know distasteful or something, so they can't sort of show that on screen. Or it, it leans into the sort of the, the pornographic or whatever. Um, and I do think that Hollywood still has real problems with this. Of like, how how do we depict this? Oh, everyone knows the shorthand is, you know, next day smoke or smoking a cigarette or next day making breakfast or whatever. You know, we can deal with that. Yeah, and you know, I mean, yet we have all seen people's noses especially men you know i mean because if we're going to talk about gender uh you know imagine a woman's nose being cut off in slow motion on film oh mm. my god but you could show a guy's nose being cut off and sinew and stuff and we've all seen that 20 times you know yeah um yeah but i mean i think that you know also you know to sort of potentially wrap this this point um you know, this is part of this matrix in this film of, you know, race is part of this matrix, exploitation of women and women's lack of good options and sexualization is part of uh, this matrix in which of society in that this film is depicting. Um, and I think it depicts it, it well. I don't mm. think that it is, um, you know, look, I mean, th there are shots in Blade Runner that are more, you know, uh, titillating than, you know, most yeah. of the... Uh, so-called titillating stuff here um but i also think that you know to return to the sci-fi point the idea that you're using these these squids and these memories as that that's going to go into home invasion you know into robberies but also into you know sex uh experiencing you know another gender um mm. you know which is presented as something that a normal man would desire to feel by the mm. way so which i think is also progressive and, and open, um, but you know that that would inevitably go to sort of snuff films and the experience to have this visceral thrill of murdering somebody, raping somebody without having to do it and feel bad in the same way. I mean, that is a logical progression of this technology and its black market trade. And so mm -hmm. that is not at all gratuitous. And that it seems to me that that is clearly part of the core of how this plot started oh yeah no I, uh, yes and it would not um when, when you sort of there's a scene where lenny is with a client 
uh, early on. It's some businessman, and he goes through, and the guy, he's sort of like, you know, he's like, "What are you into? What do you want to do?" And the guy's reluctant to tell him. And Lenny says to him, "Like, look, right now, I'm your therapist. I'm your priest. Like, you know, you, if you want to get the best out of this, like, you are going to have to tell me you're kink, like." Lenny's like completely non-judgmental. Like he doesn't really care. He says like, "Are you paying for it? Do what the fuck you want." And he goes through those things. You know, do you want to do you want to experience sex as a woman? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And then obviously, then he we see him pay this guy in a bar to go and sort of pick up a chick and and that sounds really derogatory. Then pick up a woman and and go and have sex with her so he can then have the experience. And that that goes into his catalogue of of experiences. It would not surprise me in the slightest if there is much like if you were to go on any of those sort of like, you know, porn hub or uh, I've got a list. I don't know them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Never been to any of them. Yeah. But, you know, these things where they have like, you know, um, role play, you know, there will be a somewhere. So it would not surprise me if Lenny's going, right, put this squid on. You're going to pretend to be having forced sex or this is going to you're going to pretend to have this relationship and then you're gonna you know you're gonna have this thing it's gonna be some of it's gonna be role play and then someone gets to experience that so you know like you say it's an inevitable direction of this entertainment that yes there will be some sporting ones i'm sure there's climbing ones where someone's like i want the thrill of climbing a mountain i want the thrill of hang gliding yeah but i also want the thrill of yeah but there'll also be the 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 sex of it inevitable like it, it, let's be clear you know sex as we sort of said sex sells sex is also the reason we got vhs over betamax <laughs> that's right uh as a reason you know uh laser discs struggle yeah. uh you know we we could have been playing laser discs for years you know like in uh demolition man you know the reason yeah. that didn't come to pass is they wouldn't license porn until they were you know it was way too late um, yeah, and also, you know, go back to cave art, right? Yes. You know, um, we are horny animals, yeah. uh, you know, and, and we're violent animals. And I, and I don't think that these things should be excluded. I mean, art has always struggled with this. Mm. Um, for God's sake, you know, if they depicted, uh, um, you know, if you if half of ancient Greek plays were made today, uh, <laughs> You know, it would be like, you know, you know, these women are treated as commodities. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, is are they aware of that? Is that being, you know, Mm. uh, discussed? Um, And and also we can say that and still say and I do think again, I do think that a lot of these criticisms are made intelligently and are not knee jerk, um, you know, condemnations that they, they can say there's a lot that's good. You know, there's a lot to recommend this, but I'm uncomfortable with this. And I and I do want to, again, underline um, that, you know, I, I want these female voices of criticism as part of this discussion. And they've made me a better critic by, mm-hmm. by reading and, and able to see another point of view. And you and I are products of, you know, the culture that we are. And part of it was a 90s culture in which this was part of that matrix. Um, and we could try to escape those values and be better than those values, but but we are not free of any of these concerns. Having no. said that, that doesn't invalidate our point of view, mm. and we deserve a part of that conversation too, as long as we make room for other voices. 
I, I agree. And that's not so, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to put them down, but I want the, I think one of the things you said there, which is really important, is I want them to be informed and intelligent criticism. And I've got no problem uh, with someone coming, you know, coming to a film or a book or a comic or any, or even music or anything and saying, I'm not happy with this or I'm uncomfortable with this because of this. And I've listened to this or I've experienced this or I've seen this or I've read it. I have no problem with that. In fact, I love that because of what you just said is it gives me another point of view. And there's been a number of times I've read a review and I've gone, I've never thought of that. That's a really good point. And it's changed my interpretation of some content. Um, however, I also know that, you know, we live in an era of clickbait where there are a bunch of crap articles where they just go, how's everyone, what's the general consensus of this thing? Oh, it's this. Right, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon and you get crap. So I know there's those as well. And that fuels this sort of like cycle of, of things. So as long I agree. An overreaction on both sides. I mean, yes. you and I both don't like the the macho guy, you know, shutting down and doxing and all of this, no. you know, anti-female nonsense that's going on on that side. I mean, yeah. it's I, I feel utterly I have no home. I like art. I yeah. want, like these conversations. I like informed conversations, but both sides there are, especially on social media, a mm. big part of this. You're right about clickbait and, you know, what gets those headlines and, and, and what you click, you know, retweet on. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you say one of the, the ironies of this film, um, and, and actually I will say the director, um, Catherine Bigelow, who, you know, I say I, I, I haven't watched all of her films, but th this is, is a good one. I think it's because overlooked. I actually will get that when we get to the final reviews. But don't forget, she also made Point Break, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is one of those sort of like, you know, you know, most homoerotic macho films ever. <laughs> Love that film. It's amazing. Um, and so this thing of sort of like, you know, this idea of sort of like, yeah, the macho characters and stuff like, yeah, she's good at that. Have you ever seen The Hurt Locker? It's great. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. she done some. She she's she gets male ego. She gets that sort of that sort of thing. Like she gets it. She's very good. Um, and so yeah, I do hate this thing of sort of like you know, oh, she, you know, they can't do this, or you know, I don't know if like, there is this thing of like you know, female directors or whatever. It's like uh, I I find it uncomfortable. They're like, well, it's great that like a female director directed Wonder Woman. Yeah, mm -hmm. great, not a problem. Wonderful. Patty Jenkins is pretty good. Nineteen Four was terrible, but. The first yeah. one's great. Yeah, great. Let's have her then deal with some other characters. Like, you know, I want, I'm happy to have, oh, was it, who was it? Uh, recently, there's been others where I'm like, uh, I'm excited for like Eternals. You know, these other, these other, you and I have said it before, other voices coming in and doing um, other characters. Like, I don't, they're, like, women don't have to direct women characters. Like, yes. Doing, they can do anything. <laughs> I want to hear that story. Like I want that thing. Um, well, so. and this is also part of this weird sort of, um, you know, censorship today, or this this weird sort of like. I mean, you said you can't do this. The mm. moment I hear that about art, I think, you know, you're yeah. you're Nazis. You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. You can't do this. You can't depict this. I mean, and I hear these arguments, and I just think, you know, you have no role. <laughs> in a uh in a democracy uh yeah. you know frankly um and, and that goes for the right or the left 
Mm-hmm. Um, now that you know, you can, you should depict this responsibly. You should depict this thoughtfully. You mm-hmm. obviously have not given thought to how this kind of incident really goes down. Yes, very good point. Absolutely, let's have those discussions. But you said, you know, pointing out Wonder Woman and, and the way we've kind of commodified um, these other voices. I think, you know, you and I both want that diversity. Um, but, you know, to say, I, I do think that, um, yeah, I, you know, we have conversations about cultural appropriation and, you know, there's a version of that that I'm very sensitive to, but there's also a version of that that says, you know, uh, you know, white guy can't direct uh, black subject matter. Um, you know, look, if a studio is looking for a depict, you know, a director for a movie, a script that it's already got that occurs on an Indian reservation uh, or Native American reservation, get a Native American director. Absolutely. Having yeah. said that, you know. There are great stories like that 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 were not written or directed uh, mm. by a Native American, and that is okay too. And like you said, I mean, I want those voices, but I don't think that Wonder Woman, while the while Catherine Bigelow's gender, her experiences inform this movie, and I think for mm. the better. And I can guess at how that's true. The movie is the movie, and I'm still, yeah. you know, a, a new critic in the sense that the movie is what it is. It is ultimately as good as it is, and I can't forget that it mm. has a particular director, but, um, you know, Wonder Woman is a good movie, no matter who made it. Yes. Uh, it so happens it was informed by, you know, the director and her experience, but it's still a good movie. I'm going to shut up. No, I agree. No, you are right, and I think it's something that we have talked about and we'll talk about again i think for different directors um right looking at the time though and i think what we're going to to draw this to a close i think we've just done a really good i think we've delved into this quite a lot actually Uh, so here we go then so julian final thoughts and you know of of strange days i think i like this movie even more having talked about it with you for (laughs) two hours Um, and i I was quite impressed with it i mean i do think it's a bit of a splendid mess but Mm. um what a masterpiece. And, and, and both the, the transgressive content, the nuance, you know, the inability to just spell things out. I mean, there are a few action tropes. I mean, I do like yeah. the cutting of the tie, you know. I mean, it's, it's a good action. It's an action trope kind of thing. But it's, but it's good. It knows mm. the tropes that it's, as you pointed out. But, I mean, even this is, this is an ambitious, aggressive, brave movie. Not without faults. But mm-hmm. I really admire it. No, I'm the same. I uh, this is a film I came across sort of on TV, and I think like you, I didn't see all of it at once. Now I, I I've got it. I watch it. I've watched it a couple of times and stuff. I love this film. I think they say it's brave. It's ambitious. I think it's it's. I love the fact it doesn't tell you everything. There's information in there that you can go back and you can pick up. I like the fact that the characters are nuanced and don't don't always do what you think they're going to do, um, and the relationships feel honest and real. And this sort of thing, and it's so it's so sort of refreshing to not watch those action tropes. I love action films, you know, I know I do, but it gives a different twist on these things. And so, this is like a big recommend for me. I was looking anyone to go and check it out. You know, it's not, not it's not hard to find. Go find it. Um, but yeah, no, strange days. I'm, I'm so glad we got to talk about this film as well because I think it's a it's been a big a big win for us really. Um, oh, yeah. So so anyway, yes, we'll we'll wrap up there. Uh, on strange days and uh, the next film we're going to do probably less nuanced um, <laughs> um 
is uh, uh, Event Horizon. So we're going into space with Sam Neill and, and Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, but anyway, this has been great. So I really appreciate the conversation, uh, Julian, as always. It's been really cool. Um, uh, it's been a thrill for me. Uh, at time at Pod Time Space on Twitter and visit the Patreon. Yes, go find us. Come, yeah, come tell us what you think because this is a, this was a real you know, de- divisive film. It's controversial, so come tell us at Pod Time Space. Come tell us what you think about it, and go check out the patrons as Julian said. It's Patreon.com/slash20CGMedia. I've got all kinds of bit of peace on there. But one of the big things we're doing, obviously, Julian and I are working our way through the Twilight Zone, trekking through the Twilight Zone, we're calling it. And uh, we are doing some fantastic discussions on there as well. So anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we'll catch you on the uh, event horizon. streams.